When it comes to this time of the year, do you ever kind of look back previous Christmases and things like that? No, you don't? You do? Probably the overwhelming proportion of you have had a very hard and difficult time and can't afford to look back on previous Christmases. But for the three of you that do, let us just share together for a moment, you know. I can remember... Um, I don't know whether I was in the I don't know, primary school or infant, having to go to the, the local church of England and I had to read um, a decree was issued by Caesar Augusta in the old version as well I think I had to learn it off by heart probably couldn't read it very well at that point isn't it funny when you start to think I thought God, I still shiver when I think of that memory, you know. <laughs> Which reminded me of another memory where we went, as some of you parents are doing, you go, because your kids are doing a thing at the local church, and uh, we went to the local uh, CV, because the kids from the like, school were doing a the thing there, and uh, the vicar then at that time Chris Keating, good friend, and uh, he liked to involve the kids and he was asking them to be involved in the story and uh, so what did the wise men bring? Gold the next one said Frankenstein (laughs) the next one that was one of mine whose name shall remain of course but you can guess and we never did really know did he do it on purpose or not? <laughs> you know, it would... Of course, he's changed tremendously now. We'd be sure he did it on purpose now. <clears throat> I was thinking about... The best Christmas I ever had up until that point in my life. I've had lots of, I think, best Christmases since then. And that was uh, an interesting time. I'd had a broken engagement. I'd felt the pain of rejection and heartbreak. And during the course of that, it caused me to seek God like never before. I never got what I was seeking him for, which was the restoration of that relationship. That never happened. I got something far greater. I got a connection with almighty God and I kind of was sort of dreading that Christmas but having met with God and discovered something in this covenant relationship which is of a deeper and greater and significant nature it turned out to be completely the opposite of what I was expecting I learned that God is a very, very real God, a very present help in time of need, somebody who can, who can reach in and do things that we can't do for ourselves, can change even the way we feel, can actually lift us where nothing else and nobody else could, can lift us into a place of knowing his presence, a place of the outworking of the covenant that we were talking about last week. This week I want to take a little time to talk about this covenant in action. Not just a theory. Thank God he delivered us from some sort of vague belief system 
uh, into the reality of knowing Almighty God, of having a personal relationship, cutting through religion, all of which is a total waste of time. Don't care which one you like to pick. But to come into that place of relationship where God himself enters into our very being and causes us to experience joy and peace and satisfaction and things which cannot be spoken of in words. The presence of God himself. I'm glad it's not just something that we've got to try and believe. But following Jesus, experiencing this covenant is a personal thing, is an action, comes from him. Let's just think about it, because we're focused on Christmas. Here is a baby born in a manger. But let's just stop a second. This is almighty God choosing to be born of something that he actually created. I mean, in itself, it's totally mind-blowing that he created and then was allowing himself to be born of that which he'd created. (laughs) And what were the witnesses? Animals. Animals. I'm not a very auspicious start. Born as a helpless babe, not, not some king in a palace. And then we know, I'm just jumping the story, but we know that he went to the cross. We've been focusing on that in our songs today. And he went as a lamb, as a sacrifice, as the means that he designed to cause this covenant not to be something which... Uh, is, is believed or written on parchment and stored in some glass cabinet, but something that affects the very fabric of our lives. As a lion, no. As a lamb, yes. Submitting. You know, we understand, the Bible tells us, that at any moment he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done whatever. There was no limit to the power that he could have called. He said himself, no no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. This is not an issue of 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 a power battle that he lost. This is a choice that he made. Who'd he do it for? Who'd he do it for? Hmm? Who did he do it for? Did it for me. Did it for you. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't probably expect ever to get my head around that in terms of logical thinking. I just revel in the truth of it. I am very, very pleased, very happy that there's a revelation that says, yes, he did it for me. But you know, you can't do that without coming to the conclusion, as far as he's concerned, I'm worth something. As far as he's concerned, you're worth something. I don't care what anybody else says, feels or thinks. As far as he's concerned, you're somebody. You're somebody. 
Yeah? What do you reckon? Yeah? Let's do that nudge thing. You're somebody. Yeah. No, wait a minute. You, you, didn't quite, you didn't quite get it right. You didn't quite get it right. You can't just say, you're somebody. That's it. Neil, as always, gets it perfect. Come on, Neil. You're somebody. Look at that. See? Neil leads the way. You're somebody. Yeah. Loved by God. <coughs> Worth something. You see, in this covenant, we understand, because this is what he, he did, he designed. He became sin for us. He took upon himself who was sinless and became sin for us. You find that in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It's kind of like he was, he was like the vaccination or the serum. He actually gave us something that causes us no longer to be under the punishment bound by the very sin that otherwise we would. (laughs) He gave us this serum or vaccination because he became sin for us so the devil can't get us. We are talking about a very real and active covenant. Remember last week we talked about covenant is the promise. Uh, God's freely chosen voluntary promise which he empowered and enacted on our behalf. That is a wow factor of an active covenant. He became sin for us. I want us to look at a Bible story just to help us understand something of the application of that. Uh, And I'm finding this in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 46. It's a story many of you will know. This is talking about Jesus and his uh, disciples. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city... A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. And said, call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. 
It's an interesting story. First of all, the very fact that he's named. There's a lot of people that uh, we see very significant things. But the woman who uh, had the hemorrhage and uh, reached out and touched his garment. Just a woman. Uh, Time and again, we just hear about a person. But here's somebody that was named, described. Somebody who you kind of think probably was designed, or had been designed to have a much greater future. He was a someone. And yet the situation in which he found he's in, he was in, no way could it be resolved. He was blind. He did the best he could do. Somehow he managed. He developed what many of us could actually identify with. We call it coping mechanisms. It's not a cure, but we somehow cope. We develop things, develop thought patterns, develop response patterns to actually cope. Of course, we live in a situation where the enemy would have us focus always on what we've not got, have us focus on who didn't love you, who didn't raise you, who let you down, all those kind of things. And I guess that's the situation in which we pick up the story. So here's somebody who couldn't see, but actually he could hear. And actually he could cry out. And I guess looking at the story, um, we were in town the other night and uh, watching various people, you know, that were begging and they would have like a, some sort of cup or something, some container. So let's assume he had something, if he's calling out and begging, he's had something that he's going to put whatever he gets in. If you like, that was one of his, one of his ways, one of his systems of coping, he would have that. We also understand from the story that he had a coat or a cloak, maybe for warmth. Never lot. In his, in his situation, let's say then he had a, some kind of begging bowl, or let's call it a cup, right? A cup and a cloak. And those things were to help in some way cover up or make up for that which could not be resolved. It couldn't be resolved that he was blind. He couldn't do anything about that. And he was therefore pursuing the best he could. Like so many people we find in our world today. Some go to pieces. But many people are trying to uh, continue to exist in an imperfect situation. And then we see that in spite of the situation, he had to take some action. He could hear that Jesus was coming and he could cry out. He had to take action. Then we see in the story 
that Jesus was passing by and obviously saw him, looked at him. Probably not the most attractive sight. Not the kind of thing that you'd really want to look at. I mean, probably not very clean. Not very impressive. I'm talking the beggar. He's sitting there crying out for help. With some cloak or coat wrapped around him. I'm glad that that in this covenant that God has made for us, we don't have to look good, don't have to look attractive, don't have to look special. In fact, to be honest, because we're caught up in our sin, uh, that's even painful for a holy God to look upon. But he looks upon us in the same way as he looked upon this blind beggar it's an interesting thought isn't it here's a blind man that gets gets God's attention see guys we, we don't get this thing because of how good we are how good we look or what we do or what we can do We get it because he chose to set his love upon us. And Jesus looks at us in spite of our sin. And that is where the issue of covenant action begins. I'm so glad that God looked upon me even though I had rejected him and anything to do with that. In his mercy, he looked upon me and called me and brought me into the action of the covenant that he'd made. I wasn't an attractive sight. Nobody in sin is an attractive sight to a holy, almighty God. But he sees him and he calls him. Of course, Jesus sees not just the outside. He sees the disappointment, maybe the broken hearts, the rejection, the sin. This is a guy sitting on a roadside and life is going past other people are moving on things are happening around him he has no cure but Jesus sees him and calls him you know he sees how we really are and he says this is for whom I've made a covenant this is for whom I was born as a babe and went to the cross so that this covenant could be formed so that I could connect myself to them and grant to them that they might receive this life which I bring, this eternal life. Covenant that's made so strong. 
So what happens? Calls him. As he gets up, he takes some action. Somehow he, I can't imagine that he's still carrying his cup. He's been called. This is what he's reached out for. And he throws, casts aside his cloak. In fact, he was coming out of the very thing that he'd used to cope with, to adapt to the environment that he couldn't change. He was doing the best he could, and he was taking the very things that were kind of his life support, all he had, and was prepared to cast them aside in order to follow that call. Couldn't cure it, but had some comfort from what he had. Had to let it go. You realise, every time we submit to God, every time we turn from ourselves, every time we say yes to him and no to ourselves, we're actually coming out of that coat. We're actually coming out of things which we would put on, uh, which are contrary to what God gives us. I like this bit. Uh, Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. And then uh, Jesus says, uh, actually, rather than telling him to be quiet, you guys go call him. I like that bit. I don't know whether I should like it or not, but I do like it. Those that were saying, shut up. Those that were saying, this is not for you. Those that were saying, there's another way. Those that were saying, stick with your cloak. Stick with what you've got. You've coped so far. Stay with it. Those that were saying that were told, instead of be quiet, you be the ones that call him. Bring him to Jesus. Reminds me of that scripture, making the enemies our footstool. So he didn't pass by. Jesus didn't pass by. Here was a moment. It was a moment in time. It was a divine moment, a divine encounter. It was this man's moment in time. It could have passed, but he called out. He could have hung on to his coat and what he had, but he chose to set that aside. It was his moment. Interesting. Hebrews 3, verse 7 says, This day, harden not your heart. Hear me. Don't focus on what you've not got. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Hmm. This man heard. This man heard the call, come. This man was healed. Faith comes by hearing. You see, the cup received contributions. I think they would be mixed, wouldn't they? 
We live in a wicked world. I don't think things have changed. You can guess all sorts of things would have been put in that cup. Not every contribution that we receive in our coping mechanism is helpful. Some contributions we'd be better off without. Had to lay aside his cloak. That which covered up, which couldn't be resolved. He was choosing to come out of what do people think into what others would impose you. You need to be quiet. You don't need to be seen. You don't need to be heard. You need to keep a low profile. You're a blind beggar. He was coming out of that into a divine connection, a divine covenant. What I want us to focus on today is Jesus is still calling people to follow him. He's still reaching out. He's still calling. He's still saying, come, come to me. Come, follow me. Let's come back and understand. This covenant is a personal thing which God entered into that we might come into relationship with him. It is not about a belief system. It's not about things which seem good or look good. I am delighted what we were hearing this morning uh, about the serving and all the different things going on. That's a representation of the love of God. I was delighted when I heard about Chris and Anna and Kim uh, going Friday night and doing a whole Christmas meal for all the young people. I thought, yeah, that. That's pleasing to God. It's not just whether it's pleasing to me, pleasing to God. These things are great. They're representation of what God is like. But we're not just talking about a good society. We're talking about the God at the center of that. The God who says, no, 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 come to me. This is a personal thing. This is a personal covenant. I have chosen to link you with me from now and for all eternity. That's why the response can't be, oh, I'll join this, this seems nice. No, the response has to be, I choose to become a follower of Jesus. I turn to, make, I turn to him and choose to let him be the one who calls the shots and to submit to him. I've got a whole list, I don't think I'll go through it now, but a whole list of times when he has come follow me. We have to understand that he's not joining, we're not ever talking about joining some happy company, we're talking about responding to the call to follow him. And in order to do that we have to accept that he's Lord. People sometimes say, but we love what, you, what we see in you. And what we see in your company and what you're doing in your community. Do you know what? Do you know what you've seen when you see that? It's him you have seen. It's him you've seen. A people transformed by his power and by his grace. 1 John chapter 4, 13 tells us, that he is in us. So Jesus, crucified, raised from the dead, still today calling people to follow him. Wherever he goes.
I am not a great believer. It's very true. We receive tremendous, the experience of the presence of God. Just is beyond words. But if you just hear a kind of come to Jesus and he'll bless you forever after, you have not heard the gospel. The truth is, he says, follow me, take up your cross. It talks about struggling. Wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is a warring that goes on. The only thing that we can say from the word of God is that he causes us always to be triumphant in him. I am personally very, very glad that he's God of the second chance. And the third chance, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth. He is a God of mercy and grace. I know. Probably some of you will recognize that. Some of you recognize you've had chances before and you've not taken them. What we're saying on the authority of God's word that God has got you in such a place, such a time as this, that you might hear his call to follow him. Not to follow some gospel of benefits. When when God put his hand upon me, one of the things that he had to do was separate me from the group of friends that I was kind of leading in all sorts of things. I want you to know that sometimes being delivered from people is part of following Jesus. Do you remember when Peter, uh, the soldiers came and Peter took the sword and, and, and began to attack, cut off the soldier's ear? And Jesus healed the soldier. But he said, Basically, called him a devil. This is his friend. You see, anybody, no matter how good or close, if their plan is contrary to the plan of God, they are a hindrance. If they, no matter how good they are, are contrary in their, in their direction or in their intention to what God has planned in the season of God at that time, that has to be removed. That has to be discounted, put to one side, that we might be followers of Jesus, delivered from anybody and anything else. I want to read you one more little story about this covenant in action that is so real, so powerful, so strong. And I want you to hear that today Jesus is still saying, come, follow me. Not a belief system, not some good things, but a person 
that he's saying, I've made a covenant which is effective and powerful, not only in delivering you from your past and your past failure to actually yield to me, which is the primary issue, but brings you into my purpose and my plan. This is a story of when he called Lazarus forth from the grave. Many of you know that story. Um, it's in John chapter 11. Let me just read it to you. It was in a book that I read a little while ago. It was a heart-stopping moment. The one who created the universe wept at the grave of his friend. And he, the resurrection and the life, raised him to life again. The words of Jesus throb with majestic grandeur. Loose him and let him go. Free him and let him go. Unbind with the sound of my voice. Surrounded by death, sorrow, wailing and mourning and grief. Jesus doesn't get flustered. He is the unshakable rock, the immovable and, conf- um, immovable and confident in his God. He faces the greatest enemy without fear. The Lord stands before the great cavern of death. He approaches Lazarus' tomb prepared for battle, squaring off with death, which is the child of sin. Jesus shouts by his word. He dispenses his resurrection life, the same word. It says, come, follow me. He disarms the grip of death that held his friend for four long days, wielding only three words, Lazarus come forth. Jesus turns the evening of morning into the sunshine of joy. Lazarus is made alive, a new creature, free from the bondage of grave clothes. The facets of death are many. Spiritual blindness, spiritual deafness, darkness, inactivity, limitation, condemnation, etc. Death always brings bondage. Lazarus is tied hand and foot with burial clothes. Face is wrapped in a cloth. He cannot see, hear, speak, or walk. He's in bondage. But the Christ of God meets and overcomes death in all its form of life. He is death's destroyer. And after bringing his friend back to the living, he thunders to the crowd unbind him and let him go. This is the place where God's people are set free from bondage. Bondage to religion, legalism, sin, world, guilt, and shame. Bondage to the flesh, bondage to the curse of law, and every other kind of bondage. The Bible says this, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do you not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Yeah, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Hmm. Covenant in action. Not something that we tell nice stories about. Something that we experience. The reality of God connecting himself to us. Now it's a question to you. 
Have you ever said yes to that invitation? Come, follow me. To the call that Jesus makes, follow me. Follow me means casting aside all mechanisms for coping, all things built up to try and continue to exist and saying, Lord, I choose to follow you and receive what you can give, what nobody else can give. Yeah? It's a good moment. Good moment to decide. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to join a a sect. I don't want to join a community. That all can follow on. I want to become a follower of Jesus and enjoy the benefits of this covenant relationship in action. Let's stand together.